Now it's not just about working with someone because they've got a big following. It's all about understanding the type of content that person creates, what their audience looks like, what those audience interests are. There is an influencer for everything and whatever those specific KPIs might be. And it's just about ensuring that we know how to find that talent mm. and know how best to manage that talent to, to garner those results. This is The Summit by Fields Adventures. I'm David Nunes and every week, my co-founder Dominic McGregor and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Thanks for joining us here at the Summit Phyllis Adventures podcast, where we talk to leaders from industries all over the UK. We're here today with Stevie, the Managing Director of Disrupt, which is an influencer marketing agency, but prior to that was on TV. So welcome, Stevie. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Talk us about your journey. So you started Made in Chelsea. We have to talk about that first, right? Yeah. Come on. How did that even happen? <laughs> Yeah, so I've definitely got a, a more unique journey to where I find myself today to uh, most people. So I joined Made in Chelsea in 2012, and my story kind of starts a little bit before then. So I graduated University of Leeds in 2011, and I went into kind of work straight away from there. Um, and Made in Chelsea had just started airing on, uh, on E4, um, and I remember being at university and like seeing people on the ads being like, I was at school with that person, or you know, I hung out with them on my gap year or, or anything like that. And when I left university, they were looking to kind of extend the cast. And I was like, absolutely no way. You know, people are viewing this as a bit of a joke. Uh, I don't think it's going to be great for me. Wanted to kind of use my education and get into work right away. So I, so I started work at a marketing agency for a little bit. But wanted to earn more money, uh, a little bit shallow, but I wanted to move into a flat with my brother. So I quickly transitioned into finance. I did wealth management. And I was there for, for six months, you know, starting to build a career. I was one of the youngest people on the floor. Um, and Made in Chelsea came calling again uh, about six months later. And at this point, I'd been working for a year. Uh, and I was <laughs> like, hmm, do I, do, I, do I really want to commit myself to, to, to this line of work for now? I was 23 at the time. Uh, so I was like, you know, why don't I give this a go? Uh, so I went and had a chat to them and they were speaking to one of my housemates from uni as well. And we were like, let's take this as far as we can before we need to sign anything. Okay. Uh, and they really liked us. Um, and both of us in our minds were like, you know, we're never going to do this. Um, and then sure enough, you know, they kind of put a contract in front of us and were like, we're starting a new series in Saint-Tropez next week. We want you to be there. Uh, so we were like, <laughs> okay, where do we sign? <laughs> so very quickly kind of moved into, into that. And, you know, I was unsure as to, to where it would take me. Like I said, I was, you know, 23 years old, um, but I wanted the experience. Um, and sure enough, I ended up doing it for three years. Wow. Um, had a huge amount of fun, yeah. not doing a huge amount of constructive work, <laughs> but just ba basically hanging out with my friends. And obviously the show soared in popularity. Yeah. Uh, we won a BAFTA when I was on it, which is, wow. uh, we're really proud about. And I had a really, really great time. Uh, and then after about three years, when I was 26, I kind of came to a bit of a crossroads where I was like, I don't want to wake up when I'm 30, still doing reality TV. Um, so what can I do about that right now? And, you know, I'd had a, a good education. I had a good degree in the business space. And I felt like at that time, it was a good moment for me to step away from being on camera and try and kind of build and forge a career for myself, which at the time I had no idea what I was going to make of it. You were there three years. If you think of one thing you learned from that whole experience, what would it be? I think being kind to people uh, in a way. I think reality TV uh, is set up to create drama and entertaining television. And a lot of the time being nice or being... Uh, a bit vanilla, if you like, doesn't really get you that far. So you end up having to play a bit of a game when you're yeah. on these kinds of shows. And it took me a while 
to really find my rhythm there. So for the first year, I mean, I can't actually watch back when I first joined because I'm a completely different person. Um, you know, I was very kind of shy. I wasn't giving production too much yeah. information. Um, and as a result, I was filming less. They weren't that interested in me and so on and so forth. And I wanted to stay true to who I was. And it just so happened that over time, I was a very unique individual because uh, I was, you know, the nice guy. I was friends with pretty much everyone and I didn't need to create drama as such uh, in order to kind of get that airtime. I, I managed to get to a stage where I was, you know, filming a lot, um, key storylines and so on and so forth. But I think throughout all of that, you end up dealing with people that want to uh, take from you quite a lot because you obviously build this big profile. And I think people can be quite ki- quick to believing in the hype and yeah. thinking they are, you know, a little bit special. Um, whereas for me, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but you know, I was kind of keen, I guess, to, to, to stay grounded um, as well. And I was quite proud that I managed to kind of stick to my values uh, and my roots and so on. And I think as a result, I knew that it was always important to be kind to people. But I kind of going through that experience and staying who I was, I think, has you know, held me in good stead. And as a result, you know, I've been able to kind of grow my career off the back of some of those values as well, which, which has led me to where I am today. So you're kind of, you're in Chelsea, you're sort of thinking about what's next. Yeah. What were the options going through your mind? You can stay in kind of celebrity yeah. TV world so, or thinking about that? It, it was a really kind of difficult time when I was leaving because you get very comfortable, you know, you end up, when I first joined the show, you, you basically you don't get paid anything. No one yeah. knows who you are. Uh, you're not working. I used to have like weeks where I wouldn't film and, you know, I wouldn't get paid and it was like, you know, what? have I made the right choice and so on and uh, for a long time I kind of doubted that and then you know over time you, you build your profile I had a lot of opportunities off the back of the show and working with different brands uh, and so on which was amazing but I kind of came to that crossroads after three years and I was really keen to try and stay in television in some way or another I've always been quite creative so I was like do I want to write for TV so I did a little stint um, at a, a production company doing some development um, but it wasn't quite right for me so I was like you know I can't really go back into finance because yeah. whilst being on TV opened a lot of doors, it also shut quite a few. And I think <laughs> in a wealth management position, you know, I wouldn't want to go and have a, you know, a meeting with a client for them to be like, I'm pretty sure my daughter was watching you on TV last night and I wasn't that happy with what you were doing. And yet I'm, <laughs> you're man- here managing my money. So the finance door was kind of shut. Um, but what had been quite interesting is over my time on the show, social media had obviously exploded massively. So I remember Instagram wasn't really a thing when I first joined, but you know, I ended up having hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. Instagram obviously started booming. I, I managed to get to over half a million Instagram followers as well when I was on the show don't check my numbers now because it's not quite that high (laughs) (laughs) unbeknownst to me at the time I'd obviously developed a bit of a skill through social media and understanding how talent or influencers or celebrities think when they work with brands on social media Um, and I think that became quite an attractive proposition to specific companies or work whereby they wanted to kind of partner with talent and weren't really sure how to do it so I kind of, I guess I got lucky in the sense that I'd learned all of these skills having not really been in work for a few years. Um, And that kind of then, something clicked in me being like, okay, I know there's value in this. It's a growing industry. And how can I best position myself to kind of make a success of it rather than leaning on on the name that I managed to build over time by being on TV? Because a lot of people, you know, meet a lot of people who have made a career on TV or they're professional sports people. And it's almost, there's a, you know, there's a defined time at which you can kind of do that for. And then people must feel 
quite a lot of anxiety around when that moment's going to end and when they need to kind of, you know, have yeah, a sustainable definitely. kind of career, let's yeah, say. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, and I guess that leads into kind of what you chose to do next in terms of, you know, influencer marketing, yeah. really. And it's that whole world that's been created now about, you know, your own brand yeah. and how you leverage that. Yeah, exactly. And there was obviously a, a lot of anxiety. I feel like people end up staying on reality TV because... I mean, I don't want to say it's easy because it's not, you know, it can be incredibly draining, but ultimately, you know, you're, you're doing this kind of show and it's coming around twice a year, yeah. filling up a lot of your time with it. So you don't really need to kind of find another path or another journey. But like I said, I don't want to be 30 years old, still doing the same stuff and being like, I've wasted, you know, 10 years of industry potentially yeah. by not doing something. I wasn't someone that was like, I want to set up my own clothing brand or start a drinks brand. You know, I think other people have done that and been very successful, but that's yeah. not the way that kind of my mind worked. You know, I'd had a, a business degree. I'd worked in, in business. I'd done some marketing stuff. Um, and then as a result with the, with the social media kind of explosion, I was like, okay, there's definitely something here. And when I initially left the show I'd done some work with brands you know as an influencer myself but I just thought these were brands that were coming to me being like we want to pay you to promote our products I didn't realize that it was becoming a massive part of marketing strategy you know it was still a wild west back then yeah. whereas kind of year on year it's really kind of picked up and a you know a ton of ad spend is now being siphoned off into influencer let alone just kind of social media as well so in that sense you know i kind of rode the wave as it was really kind of picking up yeah. and managed to get some really good experience um at a previous agency before kind of finding myself where i am today at disrupt yeah amazing so when did you uh, join as the md of disrupt so i joined disrupt basically two years to the day now okay um and uh it's been an incredible experience so far i mean i I worked at a previous influencer marketing agency that was uh, actually a US agency uh, that was opening up a London office and I kind of got in there early doors and worked with, you know, really amazing brands like uh, Puma, Disney, Bose, Peroni. Um, so I'd managed to kind of work on some really kind of key strategies for clients in the influencer space. And then over time, uh, I felt like I hit my ceiling there. Um, and I was like, you know, it's time for a change. I did, did three years. Um, and it was just when COVID hit. Um, yeah. So timing wise, I hadn't really nailed it. Um, <laughs> But I kind of handed in my notice and I was supposed to be joining a, a kind of an audience intelligence platform. So understanding kind of culture and yeah. audience's way of thinking, which kind of tied into influencers to an extent. But it was a little bit of a different uh, approach. And I lasted two weeks there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I joined in March 2020 and it literally lockdown was announced a couple of weeks later. So it was very much a kind of last in the door, first out. Because of the timing of it, I didn't... Uh, qualify for uh, the furlough okay. uh, payments. Uh, I missed the window by like a week. So I kind of found myself for six months, having just got engaged, <laughs> uh, sitting at home twiddling my thumbs whilst no one could really go out. No yeah. one was hiring at the time. It was, you know, incredibly kind of challenging for me, um, not really knowing kind of what to do. And at that point, you start having these thoughts like, could I have just stayed in finance, yeah. you know, back in 2012, <laughs> you know, I would have kind of built myself up to where I am today. I'd be earning some great money. I'd have kind of a, a career path in front of me and, uh, and a structure and a s safety net, if you like. Um, but I kind of had to just stick to it um, in our two bed flat whilst my wife kind of worked, well, fiance then, but now wife worked every day. And I was at kind of a loss as to what I could do next. Cause yes, I maybe wanted to pivot, but I had all these amazing skills in influencer marketing uh, and I was like I kind of came back to it and I was like this is an industry that's still nowhere near its summit yeah. um, and I'm still 
the way I positioned myself here, I can add so much value. So I had to ride out the, the, the six months and then over time, I spoke to a company called Found, which is a digital growth agency. And they had acquired Disrupt uh, a year before. Okay. Which uh, Disrupt is tr- traditionally a youth marketing agency, but they hadn't really done a huge amount with it. It was part of the company, but you know there was maybe one person working on some kind of clients for Disrupt and any of that. And they were like, we need to bring in someone who can really be at the forefront of this business grow it, scale it, lead, um, uh, bring in kind of new clients and that knows the space inside out. Um, and that ended up being me, which was, which was, which was great. So I kind of joined uh, in October 2020. Um, and from there, uh, it was me and one other girl working solely on the Disrupt stuff. And we've managed to kind of grow it over the next two years. I think we've got 50% year-on-year growth this year from last year, which was you know, obviously really good to hear and build out a really kind of excellent team of you know, social natives, we call ourselves. People okay. that live and breathe kind of social. They know all the different platforms. They know what content resonates um, and uh, work with some really cool brands and some really cool activations. So it's been two years where I've learned a huge amount because obviously being in a senior leadership position was, was new to me. Uh, I definitely uh, had imposter syndrome for a little bit, sometimes still do, but yeah. I think that's pretty normal from what I hear from people in my position. And it's been, yeah, two years where I've learned a huge amount and just, yeah, excited for kind of what the, what the future holds from here. And, you know, where are we in this world of influencer marketing and the way brands want to engage with influencers? Feels like we're you know, at a little bit of a crossroads. Yeah, I what's, think... What, what's your view of the future? And I how think that's crossroads is, is an interesting way of putting it. The, the industry's developed at such a pace over the last kind of six or seven years, whereas now it's not just about working with someone because they've got a big following. It's all about understanding the type of content that person creates, what their audience looks like, what those audience interests are. Whereas influence marketing before was a massive brand awareness piece. It's going to stay that way. Brand awareness will remain king, but it's we're slowly seeing a shift into it being more part of a performance channel. Mm. So it's all about understanding what types of influencers, whether size or, or the content they create can really ensure that their audience takes action and drive either clicks through to a site or, or, or purchases and so on and so forth. So quite often we'll have briefs that come through to us and it is that brand awareness piece, but more and more we're seeing, uh, especially in a post-pandemic world where budgets are a little bit tighter, brands wanting to see that tangible ROI, yeah. which has never really been a part of Influencer before. So uh, I think nowadays... You know, people come to me and they say, you know, I feel like influence marketing's dying. People can't relate to certain people online like this, but it's like there's a whole army of influencers out there. I mean, insurmountable in terms of the numbers where there is an influencer for everything and whatever those specific KPIs might be. And it's just about ensuring that we know how to find that talent mm. and know how best to manage that talent to, to garner those results. So fast forward 10 years, what does the world of influencer marketing look like? Um, in 10 years time, I think... It's going to continue to kind of be at the forefront of, of culture, uh, I believe. I think especially now with the Gen Z audience growing up and a new audience underneath them who have basically lived their lives online, uh, influence marketing is going to play a really key role in that, um, especially by kind of finding you know, authentic partners and, and, and all of that. I also feel like the metaverse coming into play is going to, is going to be really significant now. And we're seeing more brands uh, at the moment kind of dipping their toe into it, almost like they dipped their toe into influence marketing six or seven years ago. And I think that's going to really kind of uh, erupt over the next few years. I also think maybe not 10 years down the line, but in the next 12 months, something that we're going to see a lot of is around the live shopping aspect. Yep. There's been obviously huge success in, uh, of that in Asia. Yep. Um, and I think that's coming to our shores. Again, people are kind of testing it out now, but I think that's going to be a key part 
of influence marketing in the next couple of years as well. Amazing. So you go into this agency that's actually been acquired. Yeah. You've got to build a team. You've got yeah. To, you know, you've got to be a leader. Yeah. Obviously, you spoke before about, you know, imposter syndrome. How did you overcome that? What did you do? Do you know what? I think there was no kind of specific techniques I used. I think it's just about getting up every single day and knowing what you need to achieve in that day, mm. uh, taking it off your to-do list and, and taking things one day at a time. So for me, when I came into this position, right away, things like leadership skills were something I, you know, I like to think I have or I had at the time. Uh, I played a lot of sport, team sport at school. I feel like that kind of set me up in a, in, in a good way. But it's very different kind of knowing how to lead and actually like putting it into practice when you're building out a team. So leadership skills was something that uh, I really had to kind of fine tune uh, from, a, from a very early stage. The organizational skills that come with it as well, you know, I'm thankful that we've got a really good operations team around yeah. us now. Um, and, you know, just all these kind of little nuances that when you're leading a business, uh, you need to kind of be on top of, which whereas before I was just an account manager, it wasn't really the case. Things like, you know, doing budgets and P&Ls and all of that, again, just learning on the job. And it goes back to me saying, you know, one, one step at a time, one day at a time. Because when I first kind of saw P&L for the business, I didn't even know what I was looking at. <laughs> whereas now, you know, we're budgeting for the next financial year and I've got a much kind of better understanding of that and knowing where we need to be. And I like to think that in another 12 months time, it'll be even stronger in that mm. sense. So it was definitely a case of, uh, you know, jumping in at the deep end with it. Uh, I'm thankful as well that, you know, I report into uh, a board of, you know, advisors and investors who alongside me having to kind of report, you know, our kind of earnings and our performance over, over a quarter, but they're amazing to kind of, you know, lean on in terms of ideas and, and, and where we want to take the business. And they're very much, you know, they very much respond to me saying, well, what do I want to do with it? Yeah. Um, so it's great to have that that support um, there as well, because I think anyone going into this kind of role on your own and having to build, having not had the experience before, it's, it's, it's daunting. It's quite an unusual task, right? Normally, if you're, you know, you're maybe founding a new company and you can you know, yeah. set something up right from the beginning and create the culture, exactly. create the mission, the purpose. Um, and then now you're being kind of thrown into you know, what is a subsidiary kind of organization and tell them, you know, go and please make yeah. that with a massive success. You know, I guess a lot of founders wouldn't get exposed to can your annual planning cycles until yeah. way later, right? Exactly. Um, but you're kind of straight in there having yeah, to report str- straight, on performance. Straight in there, straight in there reporting on performance and pushing an agency out there that, that wasn't my agency at the exactly. time. I could do with it almost, you know, how I please, but at the same time, you know, the website wasn't ours, the, uh, the, the copy across all of our assets, you know, wasn't mine. And over time, we've been able to fine tune that so that it's more representative, not just of me, but of kind of the team and, and who we are as an agency. But yeah, going in, it was very much someone else's baby. Whereas now, you know, I feel like it's, it, it, it's mine. And again, it's just something that kind of comes with time. I think if I was going in on the first day and being like, you know, the next three months, all of this needs to change. And then we can start, you know, moving forward the way that we want to, I think is unreasonable and, and unlikely to come in and do that. I think there were certain aspects that I wanted to change right away in terms of how we were communicating to business prospects, um, how we would manage those campaigns for our clients. Um, and those were the things that kind of between month zero and month three that I knew I needed to change so that we could, you know, continue, you know, receiving the, the revenue that we wanted to, working with the brands that we wanted to. And then over time, we could change some of the other things like, you know, our branding and, and so on. It's a bit controversial. As a kind of installed managing director, can you be as passionate and as 
purpose-driven about this organization as somebody who set it up and founded it? I think it's a really good question. And I would say the majority of the time that answer would probably be no. I think where I'm lucky is I've come into this role and I've been told from the word go that this agency is mine to do what I want with. And yes, you know, I need to report into other people. Yes, I need to hit specific budget numbers. And yes, we need to scale the business. But the way we go about it is basically up to me. And I think because it's an industry that I've got that wealth of experience in and that I am passionate about, it marries it all together quite nicely. Mm. Whereas if I was going into a, into a company in this position whereby I had to still jump through a lot of hoops and I had to report to a lot of different people and I wasn't overly enthusiastic about the work we were doing, I think there might be a challenge there. Yeah. But ultimately, if we want to do more purpose-driven work, um, I'm the one that can make sure that happens for us. I think it's definitely the case that uh, I can be passionate and, and on point really with, with, with the work that we want to see here. So will your son become an influencer? Will that, will that when you go to his career day, will it be like, you know, you know what? It's, it's not something I'd ever really considered. And I obviously have lived a lot of my life in the public eye, as well as kind of online with a big social media following. And it was only the day that he was born that I said to my, my wife and I had a conversation and we were like, I don't feel comfortable putting him out there right now and I'm not saying that it's wrong I know a lot of other influencers and people I know that have got big followings they're all about showing off their their family their babies and so on and so forth but for me I was like you know I've got 300,000 followers on Instagram I know I mean my maths is terrible but I you know I know maybe a hundredth of those people yeah, yeah, yeah. you know if that and ultimately I'm not ready to share him with the world. I've put up a photo, not of his face. I haven't ever used his name. Now that might change over time, but right now I quite like us being in our own little bubble together and enjoying that. And I think for when he grows up, um, ultimately, you know, cliche for any parent, but now I've had a, had a baby. I very much just want him to do what makes him happy uh, in that sense, I really hope he's into sports. I'm a massive sports fan, played a lot of sport growing up. So that would be really nice. But again, I don't want to be too pushy in that sense. But what's scary, I guess, is, you know, the way that he's going to grow up and other babies nowadays is completely different to the experience we had, whether it be other areas of technology, iPads and so on. You know, for me, summer holidays was all about being out in the garden, yeah. playing cricket, playing football, whatever it might be. Um, and whilst I would love to kind of ensure that he's doing the same, I know that life is very different now. And ultimately as well, you don't want your child to kind of fall behind in terms of their ability to use tech um, as well. If kind of other five-year-olds or six-year-olds when they're at school, you know, know how to kind of scroll through an iPad and so yeah. on. So I think it's about keeping an open mind when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I think ultimately, whatever he wants to do, I like to think that I'll be a big supporter of that. Where's your personal summit? It's an interesting question. And, you know, I, it's something that I, I feel like for me, myself, I always need to work on, you know, what's my five-year plan? What's my 10-year plan? I think if I look at my own personal summit, uh, it's definitely financial security for me and my family. Um, obviously, you know, being a, a first-time father, a matter of months ago uh, has really changed my perspective on things Uh, beforehand you know I would wake up in the morning and you know what would my drive be it was I wanted to be liked I wanted to be popular I wanted people to to meet me and, and view me as a success in whatever I might have done all for kind of more personal gains and Yes, that might be a bit shallow, but I also think that's a 20-something individual out there in life. Whereas nowadays, it's like, you know, I'm not just putting food on the table, but I want to be able to give my son, you know, a great, 
experience in life uh, and further kids that I have, I want, I want that financial security so that, you know, we can go on those nice holidays and, and some of those more materialistic things. But I think at the same time, uh, alongside that, it's, you know, it's just giving people what I had and more, really. Um, I think on a professional level, my personal summit is in the space where I am now. Like, what's amazing is, you know, I'm running an agency that's, a few years ago, no one knew about, and we were doing some nice work, but you know, very kind of you know low scale stuff. Yeah. And you know, we're now in a position where we've seen some of that scale, but it's like there's no reason why in the next you know ten years we can't take this to one of the leading influence marketing agencies out there. Whether that ends up being acquired by one of the bigger players or not, right now that's not kind of something that's on my mind. But what I definitely want is to kind of have that financial security for my family but at the same time be kind of fulfilled in work life and having a, an agency underneath me that kind of you know sings from the same hymn sheet that I'm doing and uh, and is doing some amazing work and work that makes a difference well thank you very much yeah great thank you. thanks for joining us at the summit it's been a really interesting conversation with Stevie we've learned about his whole career all the way from wealth management through to the managing director of Disrupt a influence and marketing agency so if you really enjoyed it please like it comment uh, and let your friends know thank you thank you